Hey everyone, welcome to episode 172 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. This episode is brought to you by iHunter, which is your Canadian-owned outdoor navigational tool. We love supporting iHunter because they support conservation groups like the Manitoba Wildlife Federation and like-minded folks all across Canada. So be sure to check them out and use iHunter to keep you safe when you're traveling outdoors. On the podcast today, we have Bentley Coben from Bentley Coben Wildlife Productions. Uh, But before we get to that, I got April tuning in with me here on the intro. April, how's it going today? Good. How are you? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Just kind of making it through uh, a low-key weekend of uh, ice fishing in Lockport. A little, We got that in a little bit, but mm. uh, haven't been hitting the ice maybe as hardcore as I'd like to. Do you guys go to, like, do you go to the Lockport Village? Are you guys part of that? Like, we'll go for a cruise in there, but we don't stick the, the permi in there. We, we keep it a little ways away, mainly mm-hmm. partly because, like, it's nice to, like, let other folks have those cleared out lots when yeah. we really don't have a problem accessing it. Mm-hmm. And the other part being like, we like to pick our holes on the river. So like, um, we'll go pick a spot or two and, and see if we can, in theory, it's supposed to like make us more lucky, but I don't know if it's ever played <laughs> out that way. <laughs> I always just thought it was really cool that they set up that little village and I don't know, just it's kind of nice and cute. Oh, it's super cool. I love it for Lockport. Like it's, it's, there's another reason for it to be destination. So for those who haven't seen, like there's uh cats on the red Lockport, Manitoba clears out like the section there in, in Lockport. And there's, there's some, um, there's street signs, there's everything down there. Uh, there's a, there's two access points that are normally pretty well maintained. So like it's, they're trying to make fishing really approachable for a lot of people, I think. And it's just really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and Lockport's great because you can, swing by, get your bait, get your food, get whatever you need right in town there. And you're on the ice in a couple of minutes. So mm-hmm. um, if you haven't checked it out and, you're, and you want a, like a pretty easy day of fishing, shouldn't be mad at me for giving read ad, ad reads right now. But um, you know, like, it's just <laughs> like, it's a, it's cool to see just like different styles and access points and, and low barrier ways to get into fishing. So, yeah. And on the more hardcore side, April, how's it going? <laughs> Fishing's been, fishing's been fishing. Um, yeah. yeah. Blake and I are doing the uh, Kicker Fish um, Icebreaker Elite Series. And the boys just finished up quarter or like qualifier number two. Um, I couldn't fish this past one so because of work. So we had our alternate fish with Blake and they pulled out an eighth place finish, I believe it was. And Blake and I pulled out a fourth last time. So... We're going to be going into the third qualifier sitting good. Um, just, you know, things have to play out right. And you just really never know what's going to happen when you're fishing. So if things go well, then hopefully we'll be heading to the championship. That's exciting. It's It sounded like it's been a big tournament and lo- like with lots of engagement. Yeah, they the guys have done, like Eric and his group, Mike and um, Santos, and those guys have done a good job of, you know, creating a good tournament and kind of taking what James and his group started and, you know, just working on it and changed the rules a little bit, got some more sponsorships. Like, like first place is like $10,000. It's wild. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money and it makes you want to fish hard. <laughs> <laughs> And so that that's fishing Lake Winnipeg then. Yep, 
all yeah. all the qualifiers are on Lake Winnipeg. Um, we were going to have the first qualifier on the red, but that was when I think they let out some water there or let in water and uh, it was kind of sketchy. So they moved it on to the lake. So oh yeah, okay. everything's Interesting. been on the lake so far. How, how has it been fishing the lake consistently as a, as a Western Manitoban? Oh, I've always kind of been one of those people that's like, I don't need to go to Lake Winnipeg. I don't even <laughs> like it there. It's just, it's very different. It's fun, but it's different. Like we don't chase pods around anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, it's just very different and for me the like going over ice heaves and stuff like that that's wild i've never never experienced that i mean like i i have in previous years because blake and i have fished the tournament before but just fishing in the west and fishing like my home waters in the ducks like that's still water lakes like we don't get ice heaves of any kind mm-hmm. um it's i mean you get you get water on the ice which is scary as well slush um, lots of slush yeah yeah like one of our one of our favorite lakes um gull lake it's got a natural spring so it'll freeze and then there'll yeah. be water on top and then that like it'll freeze a layer on top and you'll be driving and then you bust through and you you are scared you have to clean your shorts because <laughs> you think you're going all the way through and it's a deep lake yeah so you get worried fast but going over heaves is something like out of this world to me, Blake's got a funny story of me not being very calm uh, over <laughs> some heaves. Yeah. <laughs> in the last tournament. Yeah. It's been an interesting year this year too, with the way freeze up went and then the weather lately too. I could see some of those bridges starting to open up again as the, the weather kind of like heats mm-hmm. up or continues to be hot during the day where so if you're not from manitoba we're getting like unseasonably high temperatures right now like yeah. plus two during the day kind of scenario mm-hmm. which uh can be nice to fish in but uh with ice formations that can move it can cause a little bit of trouble oh, once in a while yeah i know a few people went through the creek near lake winnipeg recently but the creeks have all kind of like natural springs on them too so yeah. like there's some naturally weak spots on those creeks Mm. So just mind your ice thickness. That's right. a big lesson. <laughs> yeah. Not not to scare you. But thanks for updating. The other exciting thing, we know the last podcast though too, but again, thanks to Badlands for coming on. Um, we're excited to have them back. Excited to dive even further into the kind of gear repertoire there. But uh, mm. um, Badlands has been keeping us warm and dry throughout the fall here. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming still into the winter seasons as well too, although... I haven't used my uh, my set so much in the winter, but I haven't used my haven't used my like camo sets in the winter. But I have been using the merino, the wool, mm. um, for fishing, for layering up and stuff. And even the uh, we have the gloves, the little merino, little merino wool gloves or um, like finger, yeah, finger gloves. And those are they're great. Mm-hmm. I I'm actually like pleasantly surprised. My hands get my hands and my toes get cold really fast. And I was just surprised at how a little a little glove like that can keep your hands warm or at, like at least the chill off of them. I mean, yeah. obviously if it's really cold, you got to put like real gloves, like big gloves mm-hmm. on, but, but they surprised me in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I could see that working out really well because I know whenever I fish, like my hands just inevitably get wet. So it's either the gloves wet either inside or outside one way or the other. So, <laughs> um, wool is great. Cause it, it will still keep you relatively warm even with the dampness. So mm-hmm. 
yeah, that would be, and he probably still have some fine motor skills with the, with the thinner mitts. Yeah. Cool. Um, how was the, the chat with old Bentley there? It's, uh, Sheldon was pretty jazzed about lining them up. So like I, I was sad I got to miss this one. Yeah, it, it was good. We talked shed hunting a bit and he told so many stories. It was so wonderful. Like he's an, an older gentleman and he had such great stories. And there's a couple of times where he gets a little sensitive with us and just, you know, brings out your emotions a little bit and very cool guy, a lot of really cool stories and just the shed hunting stuff. Like I am I am ramping up for shed season. I am so excited. So to be able to chit chat with somebody who's found some really great sheds and like tiny spoiler is he has a connection to the Hanson buck that he chats a little mm. bit about there in Saskatchewan. Um, so like just the Hanson buck, the, the Hanson mm. buck. There's a little, like I said, a, an interesting connection. So that's yeah. wild. Yeah, it, was cool and to hear that. it it always gets me excited hearing that the story side because I know when we first started this thing, like that was a, a big vocal part for us was just telling a good story. So uh, I'm looking forward to this one then, especially now that I know that there's there's hopefully a, a, a good tale or two woven throughout the, the podcast. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, before we, we head off into the into the main body of the podcast itself, is we uh, should maybe make a little note around the fish bingo here. We got it going on for the month of February as well. Uh, mm-hmm. People engaging in, in the tournament. So it's almost like another mini tournament going on in some ways. But First go there, some awesome prizes to be had. And then the the second go seems like I'm just looking at the notes here coming up on the prizes for this next round. Co-op, Wool Love, Catch and Cook. We're going to have Badlands in there too. Thank you, Badlands. Um, and then Stillwater who like contributed. In the beginning. Yeah. In, a, in a huge part to the, the first round there. So mm-hmm. it sounds like there's a lot of good reasons to be taking part in the fish bingo. Mm-hmm. We've got, so February is our last month here and we've got um, a pretty big stellar single prize for that one. That's so February is our blackout month and um, so you can continue on your cards that you've started uh, in December and January and try for that blackout because, yeah, like I said, that's a, a, a big I don't know, with a, without totally giving away what it is. And, and you'll see, like, we're going to put some stuff up on social media here soon to kind of tease that a bit. But all I'm going to say is if you don't have a place to fish in, you might if you win February. And with the, the housing market being the way it is right now, <laughs> like you'd, you might want to stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> if If folks are maybe, maybe they haven't had a chance to hop in on the first two previous months but they want to get engaged in the fish bingo now like what's the best way to to see what it's all about april so if you are looking to get some more information on it if you go to our social media uh specifically our instagram panoramic outdoors instagram within our like link in bio um there is the fish bingo link there which takes you to the panoramic outdoors website and it's got all of the information on how to play what the month uh what you're playing for that month and it also has the card there that you can download and print or save to your phone or however you want to do that if you want to do it paper or you want to do it paperless awesome well i'm probably not going to get out fishing this upcoming weekend so i'm going to rely on a few other people to do it for me 
with that being said though let's talk some sheds let's talk some stories <laughs> so we'll welcome uh, Bentley Coven to the show and here we go with another podcast episode from Panoramic Outdoors. We have a wicked guest, our neighbor to the west from Saskatchewan, a legend locally, and I think throughout the whitetail mule deer world, Bentley Coben. Thanks for joining us on the show. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here, Sheldon, in April, and uh, you know, excited that you've invited me to take part in your podcast. Yeah, we're going to have a blast here. Um, how we normally start our podcast episodes is we start with five burning questions. I don't know how many April has, if she can just give me a hand gesture. None, two, three. I'll start off. So what we do is we give you five burning questions. Is just try to get us uh, the flow going for the start of the podcast and for our listeners to get to know you and for you to get to know, know us, etc. So my first question for you, Bentley, is that if you had one last meal, on this earth, what would you have and what would you wash it down with or what would you have to drink? Oh, I uh, had some elk for supper and I'm having a rum down right now, rum and coke. Nice. That sounds like the perfect meal. Right on. Um, my was- second qu- my second question for you, Penley, is that if you, if you had one caliber of rifle to use or let's just say a, a, a weapon to use to go deer, mule deer hunting, what would you have? You, only, you could only pick one. I bought the gun that I got. It's a Browning BLR-243 lever action. I bought it in 1975, and I've shot everything with it. That's cool. So that's been been a long and a lot of hunts. It's probably got a lot lot of stories. (laughs) It has got a lot. (laughs) All right, I'm going to hit you with question question number three here. Out Out of all the, you know, hunting and outdoor experiences and stuff, do you have like one person that like always has your back? He's like the guy you can call at 3 a.m. or the person you call at 3 a.m. to give you a hand or, you know, the, the guy you can call during supper. Do you have that one hunting partner that's been been around the, your hunting career? Uh, I've had a few. Um, oh, nice. When I was a young boy, my mother sent me to my relations at Glassman, Saskatchewan, Mr. Jackwood, and he took me on the greatest adventures that I've ever been on in my life, uh, on the trap line, uh, on moose hunts, where we shot five bull moose one day, everybody got one, wow. and got the forest all whole. Like back then, in the early sev- in the 70s, the forest was, there was no deadfall, you could just walk through the forest, and you could drive the snowmobile right to a moose, and we uh, still hunted, and like we'd go down the trail and see a moose track, and track it and shoot it and then go in and get it with the skidoo. And he was a great leader, my father. And I've been lucky that I got three brothers and two of them hunt. And we've had a lot of hunting adventures together. That's wonderful. Um, Bentley, I have a couple questions for you. And maybe this kind of, I guess, ties into talking about that. So if you could think of one thing that you are proud of, that you have passed on to the younger generation in regards to hunting and fishing, what would it be? Uh, I live in a in the community that there's a small community and being able to have permission to take out kids. And, you know, we started bird hunting and mm-hmm. my dad took us since I was three years old. And we went, you know, every day sharp tail hunting. So to take the kids out, give them first chance, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, ethical and like not shoot. When we started hunting, we'd shoot at a deer running across the field, and that mm-hmm. was just kind of the thing. 
Um, it wasn't the wrong thing to do. But if you take kids out hunting and they wound a deer and it kind of turns them off somewhat. Yeah. So if you down and let the animal come to you or the or the birds, uh, like instead of walking up and shooting a, a duck in the back off of a pond, if you set up in the field and let the birds come to you and deploy right in nice and close, mm-hmm. it's a better experience for the kids. Yeah, for sure. That's five burning questions. That was pretty well, that, easy. Hey, that's ben. only four. Oh, there's got one more yet. I have right, one man. more. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Um, my last question for you, Bentley, is if there was any one place on this earth that you could go hunting, where would you go? I like it right here where I'm at. You know, I live in the best place in the world. We mostly hunt on public land, but I'm lucky and we got uh, some uh, public land, government pastures all around us. And, you know, I live in paradise right here in central Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. You know, the world record that was shot 50 miles from my house. Oh, and, you know, I live uh, three miles from Goose Lake. Um, we, if you ask somebody where the sharp-tailed grouse are, they're going to say right around Tessier, Saskatchewan. So we got sharp-tails, Hungarians. The duck hunting here when we have water in the sloughs is spectacular. The geese come off our lake for two hours, solid birds, and we got mule deer, whitetails. Uh, lately, we've got a lot of elk and moose in our uh, right around our house here, so... I live in paradise right here. That really does sound like it. I mean, to be able to, you know, almost step out your door and, you know, hunt or fish or hunt for any kind of animal you really want to that close to your home. That's it's so valuable. I, I find, you know, there's so many people who have to travel hours and hours and hours just to, you know, hopefully get a chance just to maybe have something around them and, it's tough. And like you were saying about the kids, you know, to make a valuable experience and, you know, make somebody fall in love with something you not necessarily want to make it easier for them, but you want the experience to be a positive one. And I think when you have the opportunity to step out your door, that really makes it easier in the sense that it is easier to fall in love with something when you have that around you. You know, I've been lucky that I've got to uh, shoot three record book bears with my uncle up, up at Glossland. And I got to go uh, caribou hunting in northern Quebec. And those were all great adventures. But this seems right here uh, where we got a variety, you know, and we got Diefenbaker Lake that isn't very far away either. It's an hour from our house here. And, you know, we've had our boat for 42 years, the same one. And, you know, we get to go fishing and hunting. And we just live in paradise right here. How do you, you've had the same boat for that many years. How have you kept it in good enough condition to last that long? What's the secret? I was going to say, how many times have you sworn at that boat? Yeah. You know, that boat, um, I bought it in 1982 and we bought a new house and we bought that boat. The 20 foot silver line, BH Chevy, hard top, 40 gallon gas tank, Merc Cruiser and the interest rate went to 21%, and oh. my wife gave up her new house in Delisle so we could keep that boat. And this boat is the finest boat I've ever been in in my life. And uh, we had to move to Tessier down the road, but I lived in Tessier here. My grandparents did, and I lived here when I was a little boy. And, and it's just 
a great place to be and lucky. You know, I, like I tell everybody, my dad bought me a 50 Chevy half ton and a Model 12 shotgun when I was 16. I still got that shotgun and that 50 Chevy half ton. Amazing. Still got the boat and I still got Diane. I've had her for 47 years. <laughs> that's unreal, Bentley. That's, uh, that's unreal. Yeah, I'm kind of a softy, so. <laughs> Well, that's good. That shows that shows a lot of passion and shows where you, you wear your heart on your sleeve. Um, you know, you've kind of painted a really good picture in April there about kind of where you're surrounded and, and or where you live and the surrounding of where you live. And <clears throat> I just wanted to maybe dive back to like what you're kind of talking about there, how it all started for you. And I know you've touched on it a little bit there, but like, how did you get this passion for the outdoors to, you know, and I mean, we, we'll get into it the more we go, but we, how did, how did that, passion start where'd you get that spark from uh just you know my dad took us out he had really enjoyed hunting and uh when we he'd be hunting with his buddies and they'd be going out duck hunting in the morning and he would take my brother colin and i with him and he would dig a pit for us and one for himself and his friends put up with us but you know it was like taking us to the golf course they took us yeah. to the golf course with you and Etiquette, you know, I mean, you had to show etiquette, whether it was golf course or out hunting, because, you know, when when you're playing with guns, this is a dangerous thing in the wrong hands. You know, you right. can't be running a young kid running out in front of the guns or stuff like that. So, you know, it was just going along. And uh, then we lived beside the creek in Delal, and we were down there playing catching frogs and snakes and and just have an adventure in the outdoors. And then we got BB guns at eight years old and and down shooting birds and arrows hunting. I wanted a twenty two when I was twelve years old and for Christmas I got that twenty two bolt action cooey um, repeater. And nice. my mother asked me, says, Have you still got that twenty two? I said, It's the only one I've ever had. Kind of like the brown, you know, or the the Model 12, 32-inch barrel, solid rib, uh, three-inch shotgun that I got. You got your favorite things, and you just got a passion for things. And it was, I, w I was a killer when I was younger, you know, where you had to be the first one to shoot the sharp tail, or you were in the field with four guys, and you want to shoot all of that. Then kids came along, and... I stepped to the side and gave them first chance every time. And then our neighbors, I started taking their friends out and Cody Robbins was one of them. And, you know, take a lot of young kids out. I stepped back and let them have first shot every time. And I started to enjoy it better when one of the kids would shoot a deer other than me. Mm -hmm. You know, if that makes sense, you know, and, and, Anybody that's really into this sport has to be, you got to have that kind of that killer instinct in you and really, you know, it's not the killer instinct. It's just, I mean, when we went deer hunting, we just shot a deer. Like we were right. just, it wasn't about a trophy. And so you're walking along, still hunting, walking through the bush and that deer would jump up. You didn't have to have a look to see how many points it has or whatever, 
you just kind of, you shot it on the first jump. You mm-hmm. know, that was, that's what I mean about that killer instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. So based on what you said there, you know, like back, back then it was a little bit more, you know, maybe subsistence hunting or you were hunting for meat and you could do that where, you know, the deer jumped up and you shot it right away. Do you find that it's a little bit more difficult or maybe just different kind of in our day now where, you know, if you want to be a good hunter or, you know, with social media and things like that, you know, now you have to look at the how many points there are or there are people in your ears that are saying, you know, oh, well, you need to shoot a big deer. You can't just shoot anything now. Do you find that it's turned that way or that that makes it maybe a little more difficult? It has turned that way somewhat with social media. You know, when I still take quite a few kids out. I took some first-time hunters last year. Uh, it was a little girl. I belonged to a, a car club, and this girl come up. She was 10 years old. And she says, will you take me deer hunting? And I said, well, get your hunter safety and I'll take you out. Last year she was 20. And she said, I got my hunter safety. Will you take me hunting? And she said, I'd sure like some sausage. But she said, I got a boyfriend too. Can he come along? And when we went out and got in the blind, the dad come along too. So now we got, there's four of us in the blind and they just want sausage. Nice. And she said to the boyfriend, you get first shot. And a doe come in, and I thought he was going to shoot it, but he passed it up, and he ended up shooting a buck. And he was really happy with it. You know, it was a four-point buck, and then it was her turn, and she shot a big five-by-five. Five. <laughs> you oh, know, nice. he, he was a little jealous, but uh, no, and they were happy, but they were just out deer hunting, and I wouldn't have said a word if they'd have both shot those. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it just depends... But with the social media, you know, what's a bad thing is somebody goes out hunting and somebody else is judging their, an, their, their animal they shot and they shouldn't let that bother them. Mm-hmm. I find that there can be a lot of times where people will, you know, judge the animal that you've shot, how big it is, how small it is, whether it's a male or a female. They might judge you or the animal but they've never asked you the question, you know, what, what does it mean to you to be out there hunting or what are you hunting for? You know, what is your heart looking for while you're out there? Are you, are you hunting just for meat? Are you hunting for a trophy? Like we always judge, but we don't ask the questions first. Right. And you know, and, uh, but these people, they wanted to make sausage and they did make their sausage and they came out again this year and they shot two and she didn't get one quite as big, but she was still happy. And, you know, and they got into, it was more about preparing the meat. And, and you know, that's what they were into. Where mm-hmm. then I've taken uh, another gentleman I took out this year. And I've taken him. He shot three record book mule deer. And this year he couldn't quite get one as big. And he ended up not getting one. And that was fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're to be the trophy hunter, then you're going to maybe go home without one. Right. Yeah. Hey, Benley, you know, you mentioned there kind of earlier that it used to be a killer back in the day, but I was talking to, to Richie the other day, Richie Caseman, and he said he was recently on a on a hunt with you, and he said you're like a young bull elk. you got long legs, and you can just give her for miles. So, 
you must still have that uh, that instinct in you to keep putting on miles to find those big deer. Well, for an old guy, and, uh, and I, I was lucky enough, I got drawn for elk in our home right here at home. Oh, yeah. And, nice. and Cody asked me, do you think I can video your hunt? Oh, I said, well, sure, you're, you can come along. It's got the main man, Richie, there, and we had uh, Sherry and Bob Boshan. They're friends of ours, too. Uh, we, I took... My dad took Bob out hunting when he was a young boy, so and he's a good friend of my brother Collins. But they came along, and he's a really good elk caller. Oh, nice. There's five of us out, and we went and we parked the vehicle, and we had about, oh, uh, three-quarters of a mile to walk to where we wanted to be and try and amb- or get in front of these elk that were coming in. And, and so <laughs> we were walking pretty fast out there, and... And Richie spotted them, and we got positioned, and this bull elk comes walking over. One, There's one right in front of us, and I said, nice six-pointer, maybe 100 yards. And I said to Code, I'd really like to shoot that elk. And Richie, no. <laughs> I can hear a bigger one coming, and, you know, Richie's got really good ears and, and a good instinct to what he's doing, yeah. and all the this big six by six comes walking up over the hill and Richie videoed it. And I believe the show should be, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Nice six point bullet. Especially when you wait 13 years to get a tag. Oh, that's oh, how long that draw was. Wow. Well, good, thing, was like good, a, good thing that you capitalized on that one for sure. It was really good. And, uh, you know, I had a Browning lever action, but Blake had bought a 358 BLR Browning lever action. And he figured that I better bring it with the 200 grain bullet instead of oh, yeah. I nicknamed my Bertha, the 243. <laughs> and I, I have shot uh, elk with the 243 and moose before, though. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, so we kind of <clears throat> like kind of got into like where it all came from for you. But like the Bentley Coben that I think a lot of people know you from is because of your kind of your shed hunting days. When like... Were you shed hunting for a long time before, uh, you know, you started making videos? And, like, like what did that look like for you? Like, who, who showed you how to shed hunt? Like, where did that start? Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick time out to thank one of our sponsors, and that is Co-op. With over 160 local cooperative associations and 600 communities and over 200 million active Co-op members, and 23,000 employees. They're a company that is local. They invest in our communities, and that's why we love them. So thanks a lot to Co-op for supporting our podcast. If you have the chance, go and check out your local Co-op, or if you're traveling through, stop in and say hi, get your gas, get your fuel, get your lumber, get your agricultural stuff, get whatever you need. Check out Co-op. Thanks again. Well, uh, there was some friends, uh, Gary Donald and Joe Schmidt, and this was back in the 80s. Okay. In 80, it was, and the first time I went out with my Uncle Murray, and I was lucky enough, I picked up a big Boone and Crockett 6x6 whitetail. Gary Donald started his magazine in 87, and he took the picture of this big buck, and uh, we called it Dream Buck. It's in his books that he first started, and in his first magazine. I'm holding the sheds in his first edition of Big Buck magazine. Wow. Of that 6 wow. And, uh, but 
The first time I went out, I picked up that 180-inch deer, and I only never picked up one set off of it. I picked up the year before as well. Oh, wow. And so this feeling of picking up these antlers, it put a warm feeling inside me that lasted for a month, like just feeling like I've never imagined in my life, like just a high like you had dream of. And so then... We started shed hunting, and, and we went like quite often. You know, when I had, when I first started back then, I had days where I picked over a hundred antlers in one day. Oh my goodness! And, <laughs> yeah, picked the pile, pile. There was sheds laying everywhere. Yeah, there was laying all over, and some, and some nice deer back then. And then, you know, people. I picked up uh, in '93. I went out. I had Cody and Shane and Blake with me, and my friend Harry Link, and. I picked up a 200 six by six typical white tail and oh, a 240 40 inch heel deer the same day, one after the other. Oh my goodness. That's insane. You know, That's crazy. You know, so the phones were ringing and people wanted to offer me $10,000 for these white tail sheds. And, no way. Yeah, and I said, you know, you can't have them. And then a few years later, I started, I made a video, uh, Treasures in the Buckbrush, it was called. That was the very first video that I made personally. I made Saskatchewan Giant Bucks with Gordon Eastman. But then in 95, I made Treasures in the Buckbrush and Saskatchewan Trophy Bucks. But this Treasures in the Buckbrush is a 97-minute video of us picking antlers with the kids. And it sold all over, and the phone kept ringing with people wanting to buy antlers. And my wife says, since we were... uh, We've got an unfitting business for for uh, birds, right? land birds and uh, ducks and geese. And so we got a nice nice lodge here, and we started taking people looking for shed antlers. And I said, come and find your own. And then you find yours. The ones I find, I'll keep. If you find a big single and I find one, I'll give you the match. You can eat my wife's cooking. We'll drink a little wine at night. And... The people that were coming since 1998 are still coming today, and they started bringing their girlfriends and their wives, and now they're coming for two weeks, some of them. And so this is something that you and your wife still do? Like, people come just to shed hunt with you guys and have her home-cooked meals? We're book solid. Wow. There's a waiting list of 50 people that want to come. Oh, my goodness. Hey, Benley, I just want to kind of jump back a little bit there, but you did mention like after you're finding that first set and you had a great feeling for months, what was that feeling? Was it because you you knew that that deer was going to be there maybe the following year for you to hunt it? Or was it like, oh, I got this like conversation piece now and I can show people like the type of deer that are around my area. Like what feeling did you have? You know, like you shoot a trophy buck that you've hunted for a long time and you kind of feel good. But this was even a different feeling because, like, it's still alive, like you said. And mm-hmm. multiple years, we got some where we got, you know, all the years, all the sheds off of the same deer, right from when it is one right till it's ten. Every antler. Big Larry is in the collection. Gerhard, Stubby, and I, I picked them up together. And we got 15 antlers. And the biggest side is a 93 and an eighth inch typical six point. And, you know, some of those series and sets that we got, you know, it takes one or two years to find the matches. And, you know, when you end up find, look 
like I went 200 times looking for one antler to the oh same area goodness. and found it 20 yards away from where the one was and just laying their points up and all of a sudden they're just, just like, who put it there? How could it be wow. there? No, and um, just like magic. Do, do you have, okay, you went 200 times to the same place. Do you have a system like when you're when you're shed hunting or are you just kind of just out there having a nice wander yeah just wandering around and it's just that i've walked by so many antlers and had them like where we find them come back you know like two years later and it just i know i was walking along i picked up a match to one i found two years before and it netted boone and crockett over 170 like you're always looking for and i said i on the luck. And I went back to another spot a couple miles away where I had found the big antler. And the next antler I found was the match ticket. You know, and two net moons on the same day. Took six years for the one antler and two for the first one I found. It took six years to find the other one. And are they not ruined by then? Like like in my area, the squirrels and and like rodents and stuff like that will chew them. Like you, if you don't find it the same year, it's probably completely ruined. Is that not the same for you? In our area here, an antler can lay out for 20 years and it can be perfect. Wow. An antler that I really, really, really wanted the other side badly was the shed off the Hanson buck. You know, Mm -hmm. I prayed and went and we looked and looked and looked until nobody would even come with me anymore. And uh, I believe that it's still out there. You know, it's just that I'm one that I I don't like to give up. Yeah. You know, you always think, I think positive. And that's why, mm. you know, I took the, the vice president, Errol Lynch, and his childhood buddy was the vice president of another big company. Uh, and anyway, they were retired, and they came to my place, and I took them shed hunting. And they each found a big antler. And I said, well, we're going back to look for the matches of these. And they said, yeah, right, sure we are. And we went out, and they found to both of those antlers and they said you are the most positive thinking person that they've ever been around hmm, you know, the one guy was IBM so these were like fairly successful people mm-hmm. but they came back and brought their kids back for a few years after that just because of a positive attitude mm-hmm. that's that's remarkable the the one thing you did mention was handsome buck and I don't I don't want to Go, like go into it at all but I will ask you one simple question about that buck is that will that buck ever be broken will that record be ever be broken and do you think Saskatchewan has that deer still like a, you know what I mean like that a bigger deer, deer that can break that yeah I think that it's going to be a little bit tougher um, down in the Midwest you know they just about broke it uh, a deer was shot a couple of years ago and it, it was really a big one within an inch and a half of Milo's and, you know, there's been other ones that have got non-typical points to them that uh, just questionable points is the right word. Mm-hmm. And big, but by the feeding programs, um, you know, and I'm not saying feeding because, you know, they got lots of high fence deer in some places and they give them minerals and that, and they're growing some big racks with different genetics, I think is yeah. the thing, but... We still have that genetics of the Hanson buck, uh, uh, buck that shot in northern Saskatchewan around Love. Um, there was a 265 non-typical that was shot in Saskatchewan. Uh, uh, 
you know, we've got some really great Mildred jeans right around our place here, too. Cody shot the world record velvet double drop time five miles from my house. Oh, wow. And then he shoot 267 a couple of years ago. You know, so the genetics are here, but the methods of hunting now, like some of my friends said, you know, there's a bait every quarter of a mile. But right. even having the bait, like we hunt over bait here in Saskatchewan, well, not all the time, but uh, some of the time. But it's taken me, you know, four or five years of hunting. I sat 21 days, daybreak, daybreak till dark, and shot the buck on the front cover of my trophy number 16 DVD. And, you know, that deer was so, these deer are so smart that they're just about, once they get four years old, they're just about unkillable. Really? Mm. Little nocturnal and all that, you know. Um, Bentley is like, I want to like. I don't want to take up all of our time talking about shadowing, but I do have one or two more quick little questions, and I don't know what April has for you, and then maybe talk about a little bit more hunting. But like, you know, it's a good thing they didn't probably invent the Fitbit back in the seventies and eighties because you probably would have worn out a few of them by the miles that you're putting on. But like, like what are you what are you doing like to to keep going out in the bush? Like, are you like, can you just give me maybe a little bit of, like, what you prepare yourself with? If it's, um, you know, like, what are you taking in your pack? Like, what kind of boots are you wearing? Like, stuff like that. Like, I mean, you're putting on miles from what I've listened to and researched. Like, you're doing, you know, 10, 20-mile days walking in the bush looking for, for some antlers. So so what are you doing to make sure you're, you're prepared to get out there? Well, you got to have Gore-Tec boots, you know, that are waterproof. Yep. And uh, you got some good insoles for your heels so your heels aren't sore. Um, not sure of the name of them, but you know, just so your arches don't get sore, mm-hmm. you got to be comfortable. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that go around your boots and up your leg, uh, they're all oh, the gaiters, gaiters, yeah. yeah. You know, so you're not stopping and cleaning your boots out all the time. Uh, good underwear, you know, uh, that isn't really bulky, but you know, it's like really nice and warm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the good clothing that they got now is the key factor so you can, you know, not too heavy a boot. Right. You know, I think I have uh, 600 grams for for walking and maybe there are 1,000 grams when I sit in the blinds. But yeah. it's later. You know, it's just, gear is the whole trick. And they got such good stuff now that whether it's rain gear or, you know, you have to be comfortable when I take my wife out. And the clothing that I got for her, like she doesn't get cold. And, That's good. You know, so they take the kids out because I remember when we went out as kids, we didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we had no food, no nothing. We didn't even have a pack. And uh, <laughs> it'd be freezing to death. And I'm surprised that we still kept at it without having the good clothes and the good boots. And, you know, it's but we'd come home and, you know, your feet were frozen. and you'd be holding them in front of the oven and crying when your feet were undone. Oh, yeah. I hear you on that one. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody put up with that. <laughs> with the they got now, and, you know, it's just kind of having somebody to prepare you before you go out. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have, like, some of my boots. I wore the toes right out and I'm walking through the buck brush. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and just there, you get your favorite boots and you don't want to let them go. 
Yeah, you you hope that they keep making them. Right. You know, I had some good boots, and the first set I had, and they're so light and nice to walk in, and now I can't get it. I went and got a new pair, and they're garbage compared to my old ones. You just get something that, that you like and you kind of like to stick with it. Yeah. You're probably, I don't know, if it was me walking 10 or 20 miles a day, I'd be having a, a backpack full of baby powder gold bond for Chafe City. But, um, <laughs> like, are you, uh, are you, what, what else are you taking with you? Are you taking, like, what you take a lunch with you? Like, are you out there all day? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, we go all day long and, uh, um, granola bars and, you know, have a good breakfast before you go. And so you don't need a whole bunch to eat. And, right. No, you got to have your thermos of coffee along or, you know, in water. Uh, some of the people that come to my place, like if you're walking for shed hunting or whatever, they have bladders that you have on. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is, is if you start to get tired, you've got to be drinking before you get tired. Like yep. That's the whole key is to self-hydrate. That's the main thing, I think, when you're out to go all day long is, Make sure you got lots of liquid. I yeah. think, um, like for for myself personally, like I'll take granola bars and stuff. And sometimes, if I'm going out there and I just don't necessarily feel like my spryest self that morning, I'll even take um, baby food in those little squeeze packages because that uh-huh. sugar gets to you really quick. Right. And that's, you know, I've had it where I had hypoglycemia and mm-hmm. barely made it back vehicle and oh just my. because uh, I, you know cheesies are really good you mm-hmm. know you gotta have something that works for you mm-hmm. you know it's the whole thing are you um are you taking any safety gear with you like do you have an um an in reach or or does does the area that you're shed hunting in have really good cell service that you could just just work with your phone i never had a cell phone until you know for not till that long ago mm-hmm. and because they didn't really work. The cell phone wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now with the GPSs, um, when people come here, I just ask them to bring a GPS mm-hmm. safety glass uh, so you don't get a stick in the eye. One day I got a yeah. stick in the eye and be out of the bush, I got one in the other eye. <laughs> oh, I was, like a, a I was willow about. in the eye is the worst. Oh, my goodness. I just I could just scream when I get smacked in the face with a willow. Yeah. You know, the safety here as far as... Um, you know, having uh, the safety glasses, uh, having the gaiters, having they got those pants now that have got the, um, you know, it's uh, material on the front of up the front of the legs. So kind of like an, up, yeah, like an upland pant with like a brush a brush panel on right. it. Those brush pants, like they really work good, just so you're not getting like thorns in your legs and and uh, you know to distract you, like because. When you're going along hunting or shed hunting, whatever, or hunting birds, I mean, you've got to be keen and not worrying about, oh, i got a thorn in my foot. Mm-hmm. You've got to be walking, thinking about exactly what you're doing, like looking mm-hmm. for movement around you, like your surroundings, and mm-hmm. paying attention and keeping focused is the main mm-hmm. thing. And so I you've got to... F- I find it's really interesting, the first... so like paying attention and being focused and like knowing what you're looking for. I find at the beginning of the season, I it's like my brain forgets what I'm looking for in the bush. And then as soon as you find that first shed 
or in the um, like morel foraging season, as soon as you find that first morel, it's like your brain remembers and your eyes are just in tune and you'll find every single one after that. Right. Uh, you know, it's, uh, but I know that the, the attitude part is the most important. So I took, mm. I had it come from Winnipeg to my place, mm-hmm. shed hunt. Rye guy is who I called him. And uh, he says, we can't shed hunt at our place because they got them all picked up. I said, you are crazy thinking like that. <laughs> and he went home from him. They went shed hunting, him and his buddies, and they picked no end of antlers out there. You know, but have a positive attitude. Like, mm-hmm. you can't think somebody's got them all. Because they there is hundreds of deer horns laying in the mm-hmm. They haven't got any of them. None of them are picked up. And the big deer... If I'd have thought, oh, somebody shot my big buck that I'm hunting. Well, they didn't. When you At the end, when you now with cameras, you put that camera out, all the deer are still there. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's the attitude you have to have that when you're going along to stay focused, that like what you're after is still there. Like the sheds are still there. Maybe not, you know, there might be the one that you're looking for, but there's always another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bentley, I'm just going to, my kind of last question about shed hunting, um, and it has a lot to do with, not, not really etiquette, but like, there's a lot of, it's become a very popular thing to do for outdoors people to go shed hunting. I know like in Arizona and other states, they actually have, have been producing laws for like seasonal shed hunting. Do you have any advice on anybody, and, and not only to find sheds, but also to kind of like make sure the deer aren't getting too much pressure at the end of winter. You know, do you have like any advice on when to go shed hunting? Um, when you're thinking about, you know, the deer and make sure you're not pushing them out of places or, or hurting them by, you know, pressuring them in the, in the middle of winter. Like, what do you suggest there? Well, I've found my best horns, you know, by Christmas time or around right now, but for the last quite a few years, we don't go shed hunting until the snow's gone. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're walking through the area. The deer have all shed their antlers. Uh, you're going to find them better because they're not covered up with snow. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're not walking through a bush and chasing them onto the neighbor's property where you haven't got permission. Mm-hmm. So it's just a win-win by waiting. Right. Right. Hard to tell somebody don't go, but... You know, what I do now is, it's not that I don't go, but I more go spotting, scouting. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Not going right into the area and disturbing it all and chasing them, like I said, away. Yeah. I know my, like, uh, we have a kind of like little hunting property that we we hunt quite a bit on, and, and I always want to go shed hunting there, and my old man always tells me, he's like, you, you can't go in there until after the snow's gone. Like, those deer had, especially on hard winters, right? Like, you don't want to be pushing those deer around. They're already weak, you know? So that's kind of the rule around our place is that we don't go until the snow's gone either. But, yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a time and place for it, that's for sure. Because I know, like, down south, like I said, they're, they're creating laws, basically, that uh, – you know, you can't shed hunt in certain times because you're pushing elk out of their whatever, if it's feeding or breeding areas, and um, that's no good for the animals either, right? So where, where we do look at this time of the year is we look out in the grain fields. Right. You know, the deer out into, uh, in, right out in the wide open in, that, in the wintertime, and in the middle of the day, you're not hurting anything going out into the field, and, and you're helping the farmers picking up the antlers. Yeah, so that's absolutely. kind of at this time of the year nice 
Everybody got any more shed hunting questions for Bentley before I switch gears on you? No, that's okay. You can switch gears. Okay. Um, Bentley, I know like uh, I've seen quite a bit of uh, content about you like with Cody and, and bringing Cody up, uh, shooting, you know, deer, etc. cetera. Um, but I, I kind of want to know about your, you know, maybe your most prized or your, your best deer hunting story, like the one that you, you always tell around the campfire or whatever that may look like. Do you have that one story that just, that's just the best in your mind? Can you share that one with us? Yeah. Well, the, the deer that's on my trophy buck 16 video, it's a 196 inch, it's my best grossing whitetail. And okay. like I hunted it four years, but you know, the cameras, these cameras that they got now, we didn't have the one back then that send it to your your um, camera, like or your phone, like they do now. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, so we'd go out there, it was in the government pasture. And, you know, when you're hunting on public land and there's lots of people around and, and you're sitting there and the guns are going off around you, and then you put out that camera and that deer's still there. And, you know, this went on for four years. And he picked up the sheds off of it. I picked up one nice antler, and my brother Maxie went out, and and my son Blake, and they picked Maxie picked up the match to the shed that I was after, and uh, then Blake picked the year before sheds off of it. So we really wanted to get that buck, and then the year before I had him coming across the field towards us, and. I just thought I could sneak up a little bit closer. He was, I seen him coming and I just went to sneak up just so I had this little tree to use for a rest. And he just disappeared, vanished like Houdini. And you wonder where, how could he got away? Yeah. He was just gone. And then I hunted him, like I said, 21 days, daybreak till dark. And I was sitting in the blind on December the 6th. And, you know, it was 40 below. And I was half hour before daybreak, I got into the blind and I was there and I heard a vehicle drive in and drove up to my vehicle Mm. and then drove away. And as soon as he drove away from my vehicle, in walked that deer. Wow. Like, you know, the deer was that smart and it was only 35 yards from me and I shot that deer and, you know, it just, that feeling inside you and so blessed and thankful that I was able to get that deer after hunting him four years, you know, but how smart that thing was mm-hmm. that he thought that I was, that I drove away and then in that deer came, you know, that was an exciting one. And then one more, on uh, my trophy bucks, 20 DVD in the first of November said the code, I'm going to shoot my deer December the 6th at four o'clock. Maybe you better, <laughs> come with that. that's the day I'm shooting the deer anyway a friend comes from Miami with me this Mike Frawley and Mike had shot five Boone and Crockett in Saskatchewan and I said to Mike do you really need another one why don't you just come <laughs> sit in the blind with me and bring me some good luck so anyway he, I said don't come till December the 4th this year I said because I'm going to shoot the deer on December the 6th I never even took my gun out when we were hunting all of November, and Mike shows up on on the 3rd to go out on the 4th, and we walk out the door, and there's a flat tire on the truck. So mm. we couldn't go to our chosen spot that we were going to go that morning. So I went and got the tire fixed, and we went out, and I went to another one of our, another one of our spots, 
another blind and to check the camera. And we're driving out of the pasture, and I'm looking, putting the card into the card reader, and there's this great big buck. I said to Mike, holy. But we didn't even know it was there. We came, got in the blind, and on December the 6th, at 10 after 4, in walked that deer, and I killed him. <laughs> no way. <laughs> 188 incher. Oh, my gosh. Big, heavy, beautiful deer, and it was like 40 below that day, and we sat all day long, and at 10 after 4, in a pocket. Code, he wow. wasn't there with me. That's unbelievable. Um, that's a that's a great story. Sorry, April, I just got to follow up this. <laughs> You're hunting story with one question that I have to ask because I ask a lot of people at. But do you have like a trophy night or like what do you do to celebrate when you, you know, you, you have a, a harvest like that or like the other story? Like, do you have a few glasses of wine or a few glasses of rum? What does your trophy night look like? What we do is we've got a Brian Zorb Memorial Buck Night that we started in 1983. So. You know, it was Sindalal, all the people. Brian got killed underground at, at Tomenko when he used to come hunting deer with us when we pushed okay. bush. And it was a different style of hunting back then. Mm-hmm. And we got a memorial buck night, and we got a belt buckle, and it was happens after the season. Mm-hmm. And it was 41st year this year, and I've wow. been lucky in one of three times. Wow. And, nice. uh, yeah, my brother Maxie's won it three times, and my the Starling boys have won it, and now we're getting, you know, it's turned like it's really big now. Mm-hmm. So we it with another buck club uh, down at Pike Lake, and we have a really good night together. Mm-hmm. But there's their buck night in Saskatchewan. It's at Sunningdale, the last day of the season. Mm-hmm. And we went to there. That's where Milo took his buck to get scored back in 1993. And it's a great buck night. Like we're lucky to have a few of these buck nights and we get to go and get together and tell stories and like you say, have a few bubblies. And <laughs> like that's what it's all about is sharing your story with everybody else and they're all just sitting there and listening to the details. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, when I go out hunting now, I went out and we got stopped by the game board and he says, this is in the morning, we're driving out. And he says, where's your gun? I said, in the gun case in the back of the truck. He said, no. I said, I wouldn't shoot a deer driving down this road because I took my phone out and showed him, that's the one I want, the picture of that one there. <laughs> and it just, things change through the years. Like when we were kids, you know, that bush and bush, and we'd have 15 people. And, and if the guy at the end of the bush didn't shoot the deer, if the guys that were pushing they wanted you to shoot the deer because they wanted to tag it. Right. You know, we were just, and, you know, and that was all right. And driving around, you know, down trails, but with the laws being changed now about needing permission, you can't drive down a road and just shoot a deer out in the field no. unless you've got permission. Yep. So the laws changed and the cameras and, and everything else changed how hunting takes place. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something that I want to ask you. So, me and my father, um, we hunt, you know, when I was younger, we hunted together quite a bit. And I, I often remember him telling me about how things have changed in regards to scouting and cameras. And he told me about way back when, when you have like a trip wire. And so is that something that you use? Like what, what have you seen 
evolve in the like scouting world? Well, we've had that trip wire, and what that did is just trip the wire and it told you the time when that deer went by down that trail. You know, and then they came out with it was called cam tracker, and mm-hmm. you'd have either 24 or 36 um, pictures in a camera. And then you'd have to get them developed and go to Saskatoon. And, you know, <laughs> it was quite a process to get 36 pictures. Right. And they come out with ones that have a card in them. And, and, but now I got three cameras that send it right to my phone. Mm-hmm. And right now it's sending me pictures as we're sitting here right now. And it's, you know, through that 40 below stretch. Yep. You know, you got a solar panel, this camera, a 32 gig card in it. It'll just take pictures. You can set it on, you know, usually I set it on two or three minutes, but it'll take a picture every 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And the ones now, I mean, and I, it isn't any easier because I had some really nice bucks I was hunting this fall, and even having that camera and everything, I still got skunked. You know, I could have shot deer, but not the one I wanted. Right. Um, and dad used to tell me the funny thing, like about the trip wires and those, the, the other camera you were talking about, like it, it told you what time it tripped and then you'd have to go reset it, but it didn't like, you don't know what tripped it. It could have been a coyote or a wolf walking down the trail or an elk, like it could have been anything at all. And all you know is the time. But you know, that was an improvement. Yeah. No, I'm not sure an improvement because I still think, you know, people say, oh, you guys get the bait and we don't like, but I still think the best way to shoot a big buck is your, you can have your camera set up in a deer trail. That's a well-used trail and situate yourself, whether it's just on a chair or have two blinds up one on each side of this trail for the wind. Mm -hmm. And if you sit on that trail and you know, that deer is in that area and he's using that trail, I think you got a better chance of shooting them without bait. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, the thing is, is you can't shoot the deer at home if you're sitting on the couch. That's right. You have to be out. And the more hours that you're out there, and, you know, it increases your odds of getting the deer you want, but you have to be hunting in a spot where a big deer lives. If, the, if you want a big deer, mm-hmm. you know, or just a deer. Mm-hmm. I I kind of found in my area right now that... If you want to shoot a good deer, you have to be like this year. I found that it was at the beginning of the season because as soon as people start driving around and like driving up into the fields and things like that, all those deer are gone. And normally around here, people don't start driving around like that until the season opens. So if you can have your cameras out really early and start figuring out which way a big buck is moving then you want to get on him right as the season opens. And for me, that's archery and not a lot of people around here shoot archery. So I've, the bucks are still sort of like calm, you know, they're, they're okay coming out into the field in the middle of the day and just wandering around and doing their thing because nothing's bothering them. But as soon as we get through archery season around here, like they are completely gone. Right. It changes right away. Like I took a camera and, you know, it was all about water this year at our place, and we got a spring not very far from our my our house here. Mm-hmm. And I put this camera out. I've never put a camera there before. And the first picture I get is a hundred and eighty inch beautiful whitetail. Wow! And and it's September, like it mm-hmm. was right right just at the first of September. And 
I can't pull my bow anymore, so I gave it to my grandson. And so I phoned Blake. Blake, you got to come and shoot this deer. Like, <laughs> this is a... And he got to come one day because he works in Alberta, flying in a week and a week out, and he was busy. Mm-hmm. And he got to go one day, and he didn't get it. And I said to Code, this is the big... And like it's right beside Cody's house, too. Right. Code says, that's the deer I was hunting last fall, 10 miles from there. Oh, wow. And it'll be back other pasture in the late season. And sure enough, another guy was got out of his truck, rattled some horns, the deer comes running up, and he shot it. Right where Cody <laughs> said it was going. Oh, gee. <laughs> it was just, uh, they move around, but mm-hmm. in the early, like you say, in archery season is your best chance but, you know, your best chance to have an opportunity. Yeah. I'm not saying that you're going to get it, but, mm-hmm. you know, they jump the string and there's all sorts of things with archery hunting. It's, you know, it's a tough sport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, and then we got muzzleloader on the 1st of October here. And we love the muzzleloader. Mm-hmm. But that the vehicle vehicles are the big thing. Those deer are so smart. Like I say, when that vehicle drove away from my vehicle, the deer thought that I was gone, mm-hmm. and, and, he came, and he walked by me. Yeah, then he walked out, yeah. So they're just that smart, you know, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, they, don't, they don't live that long and get that big being dumb. No, no, that's why I was saying, you know, some of the deer here, most of them live till half or eight and a half years old. Like the average age is about seven and a half. Some of them get to 10, but once they get over that, three to four years old and they're most of them die of old age oh yeah i and like talking about just smart deer and all like just quick story of mine from my archery season this year like i hunt all three season archery muzzleloader and rifle and um I was home late from work, actually, and I went out. I wanted to go out and just kind of uh, go and sit, and I didn't have good wind or anything, so I kind of just got to the edge of the field about, up, you know, three-quarters of a mile away. I was in my side-by-side, or in the side-by-side. I was just kind of sitting there, and all these deer started coming out of the field to feed, and then all of a sudden this buck that I was kind of after came up, out, stood on the top of the hill, and was just, like, looking my direction and must have just, like, not seen something right and just turned around and ran back in the bush. And I was just like, how the hell did he even see me? Because there's 35 other deer out there. There's deer, like, 100 yards away from me, actually, like, going into this field. And then this big buck comes out and looks right at me and then just takes off. And I'm just like, I feel like such an idiot. But they, they don't get big for uh, being dumb, that's for sure. The other thing I was going to ask you, Bentley, was, um, you know, talking about, you know, not to jump back to shed hunting or anything, but like we, me especially, I love moose hunting. And I know in Saskatchewan, there's moose all, all over the place there. Have you ever come across some just huge moose sheds? Uh, we found some fairly good ones. Uh, you know, I t- took two kids from Minnesota, two twin brothers, and they picked the biggest, blackest moose antlers you've ever imagined up. <laughs> you know, and uh, we find... I've taken quite a few people out where they've had grand slams where they picked whitetail, moose, elk, and mule deer all this all on the same day. Oh wow! Uh, you know, and uh, and some really nice ones. That'd be amazing. Uh, when I used to go to Glossland and hunt moose with my relations there through the seventies and eighties, we'd be walking along and there'd be a big moose horn laying on the ground. You know, we'd just walk past it. Oh, wow! <laughs> but when you're hunting, you know, I mean, when you're hunting moose. You just have to hunt moose. You can't be shooting the deer when you're walking through the forest hunting moose. Mm-hmm. Right. 
and we couldn't pick those nice big antlers up. But there's, you know, in some areas, there was a really big one on our land. You know, it, I ended up scoring it, and it was rose 200, and then 190. Big, like in last right here on the prairies. Gee. That's unreal, yeah. You know, Bentley, we're we're closing in on an hour here, and um, I have like a million other questions. I I'd, I'd really like to, you know, get you back on the podcast again so we can talk about more things. But you know, my my last question for you, and then I'll throw it over to April. But kind of my last question for you is, um, I don't know how to frame this up properly, but you know, hunting around with, you know, Cody and Richie and all these kids and your kids and everyone else, what's what's the what's the purpose? Like, what where do you where's the enjoyment? You know, for for a guy that's has a lot of miles on in the field and in the bush, where where's the purpose and the enjoyment for you? Is it you know watching other people? Like where, where does that where's where's all that come from? That's where it's at now. Is you know I still enjoy it when I got my elk this year that I was so excited. Yeah. I but by having Richie and Cody and Bob and Sherry with me that day when I shot that elk, you know it wouldn't have been as much fun if I was by myself. You yeah. know to have some. It's like when I take somebody else out hunting, uh, let's say we're driving in, there's four of us in the Suburban and we're out driving around, you know, the only one that's got the gun is the guy in the front seat, in the passenger, in the passenger seat in the front seat. The other two in the back, they're out of the picture. They're there yeah. to watch the person shoot the deer. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you know, I mean, where years ago we'd have all been shooting, where that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just right. not. It's enjoying the people that you're with and watching them get one or vice versa, having somebody with me if I'm doing the hunting. You know, it's sharing the adventure with somebody else. Mm -hmm. I feel like, Bentley, you've got a lot of words of kind of wisdom and I want to see if I can pull something out of you. I I feel like your take on hunting and the enjoyment of it and just the knowledge that you've gained probably over the years is probably a lot different from, you know, people that are my age that are coming into hunting. And I just kind of want to ask you, what is one or two pieces of advice that you could give people who are maybe not as many years into hunting as you and are struggling or wondering if they should continue doing this or maybe just coming into it and they don't know where they belong yet? Well, what you got to do is you've got to uh, be happy, like I say, um, be focused, uh, but be have a goal. Mm-hmm. But what you're going to do, have it set in your mind before you go out. Am I just going to be here? Do I want a trophy? Or, you know, I mean, so you're not disappointed mm-hmm. when you sh- and you're worried about what somebody else thinks. You just have to concentrate on what you want. So you have your equipment and be confident with your gun, take it out and shoot it at the range or, or out in your field or just so you can really operate your gun good. And you know, you have confidence so that it shoots straight mm-hmm. and um, have a, a rest, the shooting stick. You know, they make such good shooting sticks now. When you go to take that shot, you're going to have confidence and you're going to, you're not going to blow a leg off it. Wait, um, you know, you can watch some movies and make sure that you know that it's broadside and you're going to shoot it behind the front leg or in the shoulder, wherever you wish to shoot it. But, you know, make sure the deer is on the right angle. You just 
And you've got to have a, a game plan before you go out. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you tell people? Because it seems like you know everybody's going to have that moment inevitably in their hunting career when something goes wrong, or they make a poor shot, or you know an animal doesn't expire as fast as they want it to, or maybe there's some spoilage. What what do you say to people when something like that happens when it doesn't go as planned? Well, it, it happens all the time. Like it's just yeah. you know, but that's part of hunting. Mm-hmm. You know that. Just got a, well, it, even if we went out, I take a, a boy that's challenged a bit out. I've been taking him since he's been a little boy and, you know, and take him out and, and he just, just nicked it, you know, just didn't really get on it. Mm-hmm. So then he could have shot a deer right away, but we didn't. We went looking for that deer for two days mm-hmm. and then we went back out and made sure that we couldn't find it, and then we shot another one. Mm-hmm. But couldn't be disappointed in himself because that's part of hunting. Like if mm-hmm. you're going to, and this deer was fairly close that he shot at, you know, 50 yards, and just didn't get it. And mm-hmm. his grandpa, his grandpa told me that he was just about got turned off of hunting because of he wounded a couple deer. Mm-hmm. You know, but it just, it isn't your fault and you just can't let, you know, you don't need to go and if you figure that that's my deer for the year, the one I wounded, and some people think that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to another person, if you wound a deer, that's your deer. Mm-hmm. Go and shoot another one the next day. You know, you just, and but that's a personal decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, April, do you have uh, anything else for, for Bentley? No, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, Bentley, um, before we let you go, I will ask, um, you've referred to some of these videos that you've made in the past and all this stuff. Are those available still to purchase? And, and if so, where, where can we find those videos? You know, on Facebook, I advertise them on my Bentley Coburn Wildlife Productions, and I advertise in Big Buck Magazine. We've got them ready to ship out, and, you know, we've got 21 DVDs and uh they're twenty four ninety five each, but if you buy uh, more than you know, if you buy a ten or more, I'll give you a good deal. And and like I said, we've been selling them, you know, for thirty years. And people have bought the same movie three times before, so they oh, must wow. like them. Get the Shed Hunting DVD. We've been selling like people have watched it a hundred times. They watch it every spring. They watch that movie, the same movie, over and over and over, and ask me, why haven't you made another Shed Hunt movie? I said, I can't make one that good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, we'll definitely put that in our show notes. And you know what? I think I'm going to have to purchase a few of these videos, and then you can put some gas in that sweet boat of yours. Um, but I just want to say, you know, before we uh, before we let you go, is like thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You are um, you're a true inspiration to a lot of people, uh, not only in Saskatchewan but like all over the the whitetail mule deer world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of people that look up to you and 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 want to see what you're doing. And and you know, um, clearly you're 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 a man that wears your heart on your sleeve, and and you're a, you're a good man. So. Thank you. It's been a huge pleasure to have you on our podcast, um, and hopefully we can we can get you on again here, Bentley. Well, that would be great, Sheldon and April. Uh, it was just a pleasure to visit with you guys and share a few stories. You know, I'm 72 years old, so 
got a few stories to tell, but you know, hopefully I can keep taking the kids out and sharing our great sport that we have. Nice. Well, we're actually going to be at the at the Yorkton or the Parkland Outdoor Show this spring in April. So if you're uh, if you're coming down that way, come and say hi to us, and we'll we'll shake hands and meet. No, uh, Darren Wandy puts on that show, and in 2014, I was inducted into the Canadian Outdoor Hall of Fame at that Saturday night. Oh, good. uh, Yeah, that was quite a deal, and they're going to have Jim Chalky this year. I just seen it today, but yes. that he's going to go. So, you know, Jim's yeah. going to be a great, it'll be a great Saturday night at the banquet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we, we went last year and just, you know, I I can't say enough for what, what they do and the type of show they put on and they, and they give back to kids and, and a whole bunch of other things too. I, I, it's a pleasure to get invited to go back to those. So, but yeah, we'll be there this year and if you're coming down, we'll, we'll definitely, maybe we'll have a, have a drink together. If I haven't got shed hunters, I'll be there. Sounds good. All right. Take care, Bentley. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap on 172 again. Thanks, Bentley, coming on. It was a pleasure to be a part of some of those stories and get uh, the behind the scenes on some of that. As a reminder, our store is always up and running now. And uh, a few ways to help with the podcast. If you like this episode or any of the other episodes, be sure to rate us, like us, follow us on social media. And as Sheldon always says, uh, if you like this one or any other ones, uh, share with a buddy. That's uh, that's one of the best ways we get our name out there. Um, so if you want to do us a solid, those are a few ways to do it. April, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Nothing major. I just really um, enjoyed chatting with Bentley. And it's nice. He's a very chatty guy. And there were a few stories that happened after the record ended and... I, I won't share them here because some of them are heart-to-heart things and it was just really nice talking to him. Cool. Yeah, one of these days, that's where all the juicy stories sneak in. One of these days we'll have to just keep like <laughs> the, uh, we'll call it like the after-hours cut or something like that, um, that we keep all the stories from the debrief. And I mean, that'd be a little insidious, but uh, maybe- keep them for ourselves. Maybe be millionaires. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to monetize here. <laughs> anyways uh i wish you luck on the ice this upcoming month here april hopefully uh you can Thanks. pull out a big w and yeah come out on top and then uh you and blake both and then uh hopefully i just get out fishing at some point in time <laughs> hopefully you do that would be nice <laughs> yeah so if we don't see in the woods or the water keep that i'll just go with the usual keep that edge on the blade keep that powder dry and tight lines stay out of the pressure ridges if you can that's what i'll say uh (laughs) we're gonna stay dry never mind your powder keep yourself dry yeah (laughs) all right folks thanks for listening